Today we are in 1 Kings chapter 17, looking at verses 17 through 24. You know, at the beginning of this series, the first thing it tells us in verse 17, verse 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. It explains to us where he is from. But I want you to understand, by the time we get through the end of this passage of Scripture, it is no longer where he is from that defines him, but rather from whom he is sent that defines him. And in our lives, many a times, people will say, oh, that person's from here, that person's from there. But by the time your life ends, it isn't about where you started, it's about who sent you. It's about whose you are and who you represent. And today, as we walk through this, we're going to see this woman, this widow, is going to recognize no longer where he is from, but from whom he is sent. And today, I've entitled this Beyond the Edge of Death. Last week, we looked at the edge of death. There was the widow. And Elijah comes into town, talked about that. It's kind of like an old western. The dust is riled up. I just, just, you know, in my cinematic head up here. I see things kind of from a movie aspect that he's walking in and there's a, you know, and he's walking into town and the smoke's in the way and then the sand settles down and he comes up on the gate and he, he sees the lady and he says, oh, this must be the widow. And he sits down there at the gate, a hundred mile walk, and he says, hey, could you get me a cup of water? And she says, sure. So she turns around to walk off to go get it. He says, hey, by the way, can you bring me some bread? Now, remember, everybody's in a drought in this area. And this woman's a widow. And she turns around and tells him, she says, you know what, I don't know if you realize what you're asking. I'm out here picking up sticks because my son's too young to do anything. My husband's dead. I'm a widow. I'm picking up these sticks. I got just enough flour and oil back at the house to bake me and him one more cake. We're going to eat it and we're going to die. They were at the edge of death. And what does Elijah say? Okay, that, that all sounds good, but bake me a cake first. He says, and, and I'll tell you this from the word of the Lord, your flour will not run out, your oil will not run out, and it'll last until this drought ends. Well, the lady does what she says. She cooks. She bakes the bread. She does it. And the scripture tells us that she and he and her whole household ate, and the flour did not run out, and the oil did not run out, and it went great. And it was all done by the word of the Lord. So at the edge of death is God's word. Even though sometimes God works in miraculous ways, in many different ways, sometimes, and, and in, it's not sometimes, death will come for everybody eventually. Death will come for everyone eventually. Let's, let's look at this scripture, verses 17 through 24. You read along in your copy of God's word. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. It says, now it happened after these things. Now what are these things? It's everything I just explained to you. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. That means he died. So she, so she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? 
And he stretched himself, stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. Verse 23, And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now, by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Here recently, I've been listening to an album by a group that I really like. You're probably going to think it's a funny name if you've never heard of them. The name of the group is Skillet. Uh, they've got a song on their latest album called Valley of Death. And the first verse says, Days in darkness rolling by, and how the years betray us and our dreams escape us. The world I wanted turned to night. Love became a shadow. Where did the time go? Someone said this is all part of the plan, but I don't understand. Now that I walk through the valley of death, your light to guide me. When I'm lost and can't see, I'm holding on with all the strength I can. Say you won't forget me, because sometimes I don't believe that I am not alone in the valley of death. Verse 2 makes me think a little bit of this woman. It says, Love and laughter turn to tears. What will come tomorrow? Is it joy or sorrow? Memories through the years. Now I've got some smile lines. We've had some good times. I can't help wondering how much time is left because I'm not ready yet. Now that I walk through the valley of death, you're the light to guide me. When I'm lost and can't see, I'm holding on with all the strength I can. Say you won't forget me, because sometimes I don't believe that I am alone in the valley of death. He goes on to sing. When I can't carry on, when I can't carry on and enter the unknown, when I'm with you where I belong, when the night is too hard to take, and the starlight starts to fade. Come and find me. I need to be saved before it's too late. And he repeats that chorus one more time. And he says, now that I walk through the valley of death, your light to guide me. When I'm lost and can't see, I'm holding on with all the strength I can. Say you won't forget me, because sometimes I don't believe that I am not alone. In the valley of death. He's saying I don't believe that I'm alone in this valley of death. This lady is here as we have read today. She is in the valley of death. She is beyond the edge of death. And many of us have experienced that. We've experienced death. Whether it be a friend, a family member, or an acquaintance. We've experienced it. We've been there. And I want to tell you this. You're not alone. In the valley of death. You're not alone. This lady, she's experienced death. God brought Elijah from a place where God was cutting away things from Elijah's life. To Zarephath where he was going to be smelting him down, burning him down. 
figure it out. Where are you? You going to stand with me, Elijah? You going to be able to take everything that's going to come your way? Everything's not going to be easy if you walk in my way. But I want you to understand, if you'll have faith in me, I will take care of you. That's what God will do. After the Lord, through his word and faithfulness, supplied for Elijah, the widow in her household, sickness came upon the son of this widow, and the outcome was his unfortunate death. And even though God has met their needs and may have met mine and your needs in the past and may even be currently meeting our needs, this does not exclude us from death. We will never get around the inevitable outcome of sin in our lives, and that is death. Romans 6.23 reminds us that the wages of sin is death. And we know all will face death because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, And it is appointed for men to die once, and that's mankind. Every single person on this earth will die once, but after this the judgment. In unexpected death, though, there are always questions. I've entitled this, the first two verses here, verses 17 and 18, I've entitled it, At Death, There Are Questions. There's questions at death. We ask God, why? Why at this time, God? Why to this person, God? Why after you've done all of this, God? Why after you've done met this need, God? Why after you have miraculously healed us? You've miraculously met our needs. Why? Listen, this, this is what I want you to take, take from, from these questions. Because I believe we've all asked questions very similar to this in times of death. God is not taken aback from your questions. I think God would be more taken aback from your silence. People you've got a relationship with, they can take it when you have hard things to ask them or confront them with. God can take it. And when we are at death, there are questions. We don't know why death comes at certain times for some folks. They say the good die young. I've heard that said. I don't know if I believe that or not. Unfortunately, we just had a recent funeral from Miss Florence. Man, she's a good woman. Listen, we don't know why death comes at the time it does, but we trust God in the midst of it. Because we know we do not mourn as those who have no hope. Now, we do mourn. We mourn. We, we, we've lost someone we love dearly. God, and, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but Ecclesiastes has scripture about that. We have a time to mourn. But there's a time for questions. We ask those questions. This woman was clearly upset about her loss, as any of us would be. This was her son. And she is already a widow. She's already lost her husband. And here she's lost her, her son. It leaves her without a male in the home. Her livelihood has now been compromised and completely taken away from her in this culture. She has every right to ask every question. She has every right. One commentator says it like this. It's like she blames Elijah for the death of her son. And that's a natural reaction. It is human nature to want to blame someone for the bad things that happen in life, isn't it? We want to blame somebody. somebody. This happened, this is your fault. And if we can't find anybody else, who are we going to blame? People blame God. They blame God. This is often true when sudden death takes a loved one. 
Sometimes we even blame those who have done the most to help. Sometimes that's what happens. Elijah has come in. And through the word of the Lord, speaking to Elijah about this flower and this oil, we don't know how long it was. It says after some time that the boy grew sick and died. We don't know how long that was. But yet God had met them. And we see in this scripture, when you look back at it there, it says in verse 18, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? She sees the death as a condemnation from the hand of God by her statement. Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance? She sees this as a condemnation on her. And we know good and well that death or disabilities or whatever is not done on, on a part because of the family before them. Jesus, you know, the disciples come upon them. They asked about that guy, they, the, the, the guy that was ill. And they said, is his sins because of his sin or his parents? He says, no. His illness is so that God may receive glory. Do y'all remember that? Yeah. We don't know why things happen at the times they do, but I tell you what, we've got to look on it as an opportunity for God's glory to be seen, not to cast judgment on whose sin it is. Let us, but listen to this too. Listen, we don't need to be so quick to judge this widow woman, but rather to grieve along with her. As I said, Ecclesiastes, Solomon points out there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. This is one of those moments where we must see the reality of the situation and allow for the weeping in the morning. Sometimes in situations like that, we say things we later regret, right? She stands there with tears streaming down her face, holding the body of her beloved son in her arms. There's anger, the emotions that go through. You, confusion, anger. We've got questions. There's questions at death, especially unexpected death. This was her child. It is not natural for those of us that are parents, for us to ever have to bury a child. It doesn't matter if, if you're 70 and they're 50. Or if you're 40 and they're 20, it never feels natural. It's not how that should happen. There are questions that we have. But I want you to understand, bring them to God. Bring those questions to God. Don't, don't hold them in, because if you hold them in, you know what happens when you hold in things like that? You become bitter. And bitter is nothing but a dwelling place for the devil. It's a home in which the devil loves to abide because he can bring it up over and over and over again. Give those questions to God. He's big enough. He can take it. He can take your hard questions. And at death, unexpected death, God wants to hear from you, not hear silence from you. So at death, there are all questions and we would all have questions such as her and such as this situation. Let us not be so quick to judge her negatively. We also must realize what Scripture tells us in 2 Thessalonians 4.13. It tells us, but, do, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. This lady was not a believer. This widow was not a believer and had little to no hope. 
we would be sad, hurt, frustrated, and possibly angry. But with God, we would still have hope. For her, she was experiencing all those things, but without hope. How much more difficult this situation is without Christ, our living hope. When we have Christ, we've always got someone there. We've got someone there, always, that we can turn to. At death, there are requests. Let's look at verses 19 through 22. Elijah says to her, give me your son. He requests that she give him her son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Listen, sometimes in these situations, the best thing to do is just be present. When someone's dealing with death, sometimes it's just to be present. And Elijah receives her blame and does not go defensive. So many times we want to, oh, well, this, and oh, well, let me defend myself. People are going to say a lot of things in a situation such as that. You better, I'm not telling you to harden your heart, but you better harden your skin. For a little while, you might have to harden your skin to soften your heart underneath that skin. Because at death, people have questions, and then they have requests. And we need to be willing to hear them. And if we harden our heart, we will not open our ears to the things that we probably need to hear in the moment. He takes her grief and sadness, but responds the only way he knows how in taking someone close to God. What do we do in a situation like that? We don't put them off. We don't ignore their pain. We take it to God. We receive what they say and we take it to God. He took that boy and he takes him up those stairs to where he had been day after day after day praying to the God of Israel, the one true God. Listen, Elijah had followed the Lord. He had followed him to confront Ahab about the drought. Elijah had followed the Lord to Cherith. Elijah had followed the Lord to Zarephath. Elijah had followed the Lord to the widow. And now Elijah had followed the Lord to the widow's son's death. All these places and graces that he experienced is now met with death. And he has done all the Lord has requested of him. So now Elijah presents a request to the Lord. But first, Elijah makes a request of this widow, but not one that is like the other. He requests her to give him the child. It's one thing to ask for a cake. It's another thing to ask for a dead child. You may have a prodigal child in your life. Give him, give her to God. Give him or her to God and trust God to the outcome. We don't know what's going to come of it. And neither did Elijah when he took this child from the widow. He didn't know. He didn't know if God was going to answer that prayer, but he had faith that he would. But does God ever answer every single one of our requests the way we want it? No, we don't. 
The mother, although distraught with grief, hands the boy over to Elijah. She has seen the work the Lord has done with little. Now she is hoping to see what the God of Elijah can do in death. Elijah takes the boy up to his room where, he, where we can be sure that he has spent countless days in prayer. Have you got a place where you've gone countless days in prayer? Have you got a place where you go? I mean, you ain't got to have like a, a prayer closet, which the Bible encourages you to have one. It might be behind the steering wheel. Now, don't close your eyes, but listen, there's a lot of praying that goes on behind steering wheels, and it ain't for the bad drivers around them. It's, it's praying that God will take your life and take your needs and meet them. Listen, any opportunity to talk to the Lord, take it. And I can only imagine as he takes this boy to this room where he has prayed these prayers, prayers of security, prayers of health, prayers of sustenance, prayers of blessing, prayers of salvation. This is where he speaks to the Lord and where the Lord speaks to him. Have you got that place in your life? We all need that place in our life that we go. When things are hard, I remember when I was a kid, when my, my Meemaw used to come and take care of me at the house, my mom and dad both worked full-time jobs, so during the summer, my Meemaw would come down in the mornings, and she would uh, fix us breakfast, and, and we'd do a lot of different things. I'm getting, I don't have this in my notes, but my Meemaw. And so sometimes during the day when I needed to refocus, now this might sound silly, I was a kid, but we didn't have tablets and phones, and I barely had a video game. I had an Intellivision video game system, for some of you that may remember that. But anyway... You know, anyway, I ain't going to explain that. If you don't know, you can talk to me later. But sometimes I would go out, and I don't know who dug this hole, but it's out in the middle of the woods. There's a big hole out in the woods, and there was a rise where they clumped that dirt up, and I'd sit up on that dirt, and I'd just sit there for a while. I don't know how long I'd sit out there. And I'd just think, and I'd talk to God. And I loved that little place. It was weird because people threw car batteries down in that hole. But, um, but I would, I'd go out there, and I'd sit. I, don't know, I, always, I always thought a dinosaur stepped in the hole. You know what I mean? I was a kid. I had, I had a big imagination. And I'd sit out there and I'd talk to God and I'd just enjoy what the Lord had put around me. Not the car batteries, but the birds and the trees. <laughs> and, but we need a place to go. We need a place where we talk to the Lord. Something that's set apart. Some of you may not have the privilege of having some woods. But you might have a corner in the house where you can get, get there. Get away. Cut off the TV. Cut off, throw the, not throw the phone, but put the phone elsewhere. Because I'm going to tell you, that's one of the biggest distractions in our lives. But take time. Take time to pray. You know, have you ever caught yourself once you get home wondering, how did I get here? You ever, you ever had those days you've just driven that that same, you've driven that same road past so many times, you almost feel like you could drive with your eyes closed. Don't try it. But, but you know, you felt like that. As many times as Elijah, he went up and down those stairs in the home of the widow. I'm sure this was not, this was not one of those times. Elijah saw the grief and pain in the widow's eyes. Elijah undoubtedly felt the grief and pain too, since he had been living with them for some time now. 
Each step as he progressed toward that room, there was probably a silent prayer before he audibly called out to the Lord in his request. It was a different, I would, I would imagine there was just a different feeling climbing those stairs that time with that young boy in his arms, walking up those steps, ready to petition, petition the Lord on behalf of that mother. What is our first response in seasons of hardship, loss, and pain? What is our first response? Do we seek the Lord? Do we seek the Lord? Or do we seek the counsel from friends? Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with going to friends and, and asking them to pray for us. The Bible tells us that prayer of a righteous man avails much. But listen, the first person we've got to go to is the Lord. One of the last things we need to go to is social medias. We need to go to the Lord. Call upon those prayer warrior friends that you got. Get them to pray for you. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with putting certain things out there, asking other people to pray for you on social media. There's nothing wrong with that. But you first got to go to the Lord. First go to the Lord. What do we do versus what we should do is a constant dilemma we must ask ourselves. But let me call on you, church. Pray. Pray. We've got the 40 days of prayer starts tomorrow. Pray. Pray for those things that's on that list. If you've got your prayer sheet from Wednesday night, pray over those names. You may not even know the situation of the name that's on that sheet of paper. That's okay. God does. God doesn't know, need to know everybody's issues. God doesn't need to know everybody's sickness. What he needs to know is, do you have a heart for your brother or sister in Christ that is either sick or lost, or sick and lost. Is, it, is that person valuable to you enough that you would call out their name before an active, holy, hearing God? Are those people important enough to you for that reason? Paul wrote to the Philippians, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Elijah reaches out and receives the child, walks to the room, and makes his request known to God. When was the last time you reached out to the Lord, prayed, received his response, and had peace? When was the last time we all could be better at this, couldn't we? We all could be better at this, couldn't we? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. We all could be better. Elijah also did. This is an unprecedented move that Elijah did with this young boy. The scripture tells us that he went up there. And it says, he carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. He cried out to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God. Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. Elijah did an unprecedented move. He stretched out on this young boy three times. There was no record to look back on and, and flip through the books. Well, I, how do you raise a boy to life? 
Uh, stretch out on it three times and pray to God. That just, you'd be like, what? I don't know what brought Elijah to do this other than the fact that he said, I'm just going to do what the Lord, I feel like the Lord's leading me to do. And that's what he did. Elijah had one thing to look back on. And that was his faith in God. And everything that he had done to look back on what God has done was where he has showed faith in God and God showed his faithfulness. That's all he had to go on was that I had placed my faith in God and God showed forth his faithfulness. Elijah's faith in God's word and God himself was all Elijah needed to act. Understand, in Elijah's act, there is no guarantee the Lord would raise the boy. There was no guarantee. That might not have, it might not have been the will of God for that boy to revive. But Elijah acted in faith. He acted in faith and did what he knew to do. He just knew to do what he had done, and that was trust God for the outcome. We don't know what God's going to do. We don't have the mind of God. But we have the faith that God has given us to place in him. So what do we do? We place our faith in him, and we do what we know to do, and that's trust. You know, another thing about this whole situation is this. A, a man of God, they're not even supposed to touch a dead body. That would make him ceremonially unclean. It would make him ceremonially unclean. A, a man of God was not supposed to touch this dead body. This extreme situation called for an extreme act of faith. But God heard the cries of Elijah and answered his prayers. At death, we have requests. The widow, the, Elijah asked of the widow, he requested of the widow her son. Elijah requested on behalf of the widow and the widow's son of God. Who are we requesting on behalf of today? And in faith, crying out to God for an answer to that. Who are we praying for today? May we be found trusting God with the biggest things in our lives at the most crucial moments in our lives. And the final two verses we're going to look at today, verses 23 and 24, at death, there are testimonies. There are testimonies. Look there in verse 23 and 24. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Oh, wow. Man of God, have you come here to reveal and condemn me by my sin, by the death of my son? Elijah takes the blame. Elijah takes the son. But Elijah don't take that outcome at first. He goes to the Lord because he knows all the outcomes come out to the Lord. The final say is the Lord's say, not ours. Not the earth, not a doctor, not anything. It's the Lord's will. So Elijah did the one thing he needed to do. He took the problem, he took the issue to the Lord. Listen, these final two verses, the testimonies of the Lord's goodness could not be more evident. 
Elijah, upon seeing the life return to this young boy, ushers the boy down the stairs to his anxious and grief-stricken mother. Elijah does not take the credit at all either. You don't see him say, look what I did for your son. He doesn't come down there and do that. No, pride comes for a fall. So he, he, you, know, you don't do that stuff. He, he says, see, your boy lives. Your boy lives. I presented him before the living God. Not these gods, these pagan gods that everybody around you. You know, remember he was in, uh, he was in, he was real close to Ethbel, where Jezebel was from, from Sidon. And he's real close to that. He's there in Zarephath. This is a, a, a city and town of pagan rituals. And he says, see, your son lives because he's the man of God. And he's followed after and he did exactly what the Lord told him to do. And he, he says, your son lives. Can we imagine for a moment what a reunion this must have been? What a reunion this must have been. This mother hands over her dead son to Elijah. And Elijah has taken the steps to his room to intercede for the life of this child and the livelihood of this mother. Was she downstairs pleading to God? Was she hopeless in her desperation? Was the Lord working on the hardness of her pagan heart? softening it to turn from her false gods to the God of Elijah, the Lord God? I hope so. I believe so. I believe she had seen the faithfulness of God through the work of Elijah and the word of the Lord. And she said, he's taking him up there. I'm, I am trusting my son to the life of this prophet and to the God of this prophet. Please let this work. Please let this work. Have you ever pleaded for somebody in your life? Have you ever been on your knees pleading for something to happen? This is where this woman was. And Elijah, can you imagine? He just comes down that steps. And I don't know if he's toting the kid, if his body's still weak, or if when God revived him, if he reanimated his life to the point, his bones, his muscles, his everything, which I believe he did because when you get, when you get God, when God comes into you, you get all of him. And when he brings and he puts life into you, it's life. It's life eternal. It's a life unlike any other life. And he walks down that step and he comes down through there and he says, See, this is your son. Your boy lives. Could you imagine the joy? A few weeks ago, I told you about a young man named Jackson Kelly. And about how his heart stopped, cardiac arrest, at 18 years old. His dad doing CPR, his sister calling out the, the cadence so that they could do it. And that boy's alive. He went down to Orlando, Florida to support his sister and the cheerleaders at Curry. He was the mascot for him. Now, I don't think he went back into mascotting so right now. But that boy's alive. You know the joy that's in, the, in those parents' hearts? Listen, this is this widow woman. Her son is alive. And he was dead when he went up the steps. And he was alive when he came back down. If I don't, listen, if I don't put something in your heart, man, I don't know what does. My God is a God of life, not death. He said, I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. And I know that's spiritual life. But he can also reanimate, reinvigorate the dead just like he can the spiritually dead. Now, that don't happen very often. It's a rare occasion. But I fully believe that God can do it, and I believe Jackson Kelly is an evidence of that. I believe it's an evidence of that.
Listen, who from this kind of faith comes a grand testimony? And this is chronicled in the annuals of time right here in 1 Kings chapter 17. The testimony of a grieving widow, a giving prophet, and a gracious God. Right there in 1 Kings 17, when we abandon the idea that God is all-powerful, and I believe we have, when we abandon the idea that God still hears our prayers, and I think at times we have, when we abandon the thought that we don't think God cares about our needs, listen, we are abandoning our faith. He is a God who hears, and He is a God who listens. I pray that we are praying and pleading with the living God of, of the Word, that He will do miraculous things in our lives, beyond our lives, in our family members' lives. So that we, we can have a wonderful testimony just like this. What is your testimony today? When did God bring life into you? When did God bring Life into you. The final thing that she says here, there in verse 24, the woman says to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, in that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. No longer is he known as Elijah the Tishbite alone. That's always going to be a part of who he is, where he's from. But it's no longer about where he's from. It's about who sent him. I know that you are a man of God. When have you acted on your faith? Have you acted on your faith in God? When have you done that? Have you ever placed your faith in God? We all have faith in something. We place our faith in something. Y'all came in today, y'all didn't check the structural capabilities of each one of these pews, did you? No? You put your Bibles down, eventually you sat in it. You didn't test it. But you placed faith in that pew. When have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? There's testimony, testimony here that there is foundational structural strength in Christ worth placing your faith in. Have you done that? Have you placed your faith in Christ? And listen, to act in faith for God, you must first place your faith in the active God. He is living and powerful. God is living and powerful. And he has got power over life and death. And just as Jesus spoke to Martha about Upon coming back to Bethany and respect to Lazarus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, does that mean they'll never face an earthly death? No. It means that once you receive Christ, you will, you will not taste the death of separation from God for eternity. That's the second death. The first death, everybody faces the first death. But I'll never face a second death. I'll never face that second death. 
And that second death is when those words from the Lord come from his mouth, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And you never get to be in the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is not in hell. We've got the Holy Spirit on this earth holding back the work of the devil. And it's the reason why this place is staying together. Colossians 1 tells us that in him all things hold together. It's the only reason why this world's staying as it is, because the devil and his demons are constantly on attack. When we remove Christ and we remove the Holy Spirit from the equation, it's hell. And people who depart this life without a relationship with Jesus Christ, they face that second death and they are apart from God for, eternal, uh, for eternity where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth and the worm never dies. It's not a place anybody and any of us should ever desire any of our friends or families to go. We pray for them because at the edge of death, there can be healing because there's God's word. But at death, at death, there's going to be a testimony of one or two things. Either that person lived for Christ or they died in their sin. 